Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Simon, and I have the privilege of speaking to you for the next 15 minutes or so. I'd like to start by wishing everyone who's a dad out there a very happy Father's Day. I wrote a card to my dad, um, who lives in Southampton, this week, and after I posted it, I had the weird experience of them walking past a pub near our house, um, so the signs outside of which were still displaying very proudly the message, Happy Mothering Sunday! which I think just shows how weird the last three months have been. Um, we are continuing, though, this morning, our series on um, David, who is one of the great heroes um, of the Bible. And we've been considering over the last few uh, weeks what we can learn from his life. So I'm just going to start by giving you a short recap of what we, some of the things that we've learned so far. Um, we discovered that David um, was a man who was uh, born in Bethlehem. Um, in the land of Israel, who um, grew up as a shepherd uh, who cared for his father's sheep. And one day he was in for a big surprise as uh, a prophet called Samuel um, came to Bethlehem um, and uh, in the presence of his, uh, his seven older brothers and his father um, anointed David, the youngest son, um, as God's chosen king. Um, as David um, it says in the story, was a man after God's own heart. David, however, didn't become king straight away, um, but instead kind of gradually grew in popularity, especially after he defeated the Philistine champion called Goliath, um, whose story we looked at last week. However, that victory and other events that take place make the existing king, a person called King Saul, extremely jealous. And so Saul persecuted and pursued David, seeking to put him to death. Now, if we just pause a second and you have a little look at the list next to me, this list might remind you of somebody else. Someone who was born around about a thousand years later, who was a direct descendant of David, who also was born in Bethlehem also could be described as a good shepherd, who was also God's chosen and anointed king, who grew up in obscurity, but then grew in popularity as he healed the sick, doing amazing miracles, taught huge crowds with great wisdom, which provoked the leaders of his day to jealousy, so that they pursued and persecuted him and eventually put him to death on a cross. But it was there that he took on giants, not like Goliath, but giants instead of sin and death and Satan, who he defeated um, as he died on the cross for the sins of people everywhere and then triumphed over them by rising again from the dead. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Jesus. Um, and there's, there's these beautiful and amazing parallels that we see in the story of David and the story of Jesus. And we can continue looking at some of those parallels today. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus is a shepherd like David, um, who cares for us and protects us. Last week, we looked at how Jesus is a saviour like David, who rescues us from enemies that we cannot overcome. And this week, we're looking at how Jesus is a king like David. Continuing the story of David, we, we've already seen um, and spoken about this morning how Saul was the king of Israel. And um, as David emerged, um, Saul was intensely jealous of him. Um, 
and probably not surprisingly, is David was a real threat to his legacy and Saul was desperate to hold on to power. Uh, Saul um, had a number of sons. His eldest son was called Jonathan and Jonathan was therefore the heir to the throne. Uh, Saul is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 31 as saying this to his son Jonathan in one particular fit of rage. He says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, that's David, neither you Jonathan nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me for he must die. I wonder what Jonathan's response was. Um, You wouldn't blame him for thinking, oh father you're right. Who is this insignificant usurping shepherd boy? What right does he have to my throne that I I will have when you when you die? Is that how Jonathan responds? Not. No, not at all. Instead, Jonathan humbly acknowledged that David, instead of himself, would become king after Saul. It's amazing. And the story goes on and shows that David and Jonathan developed a deep, trusting friendship with Jonathan protecting David from his murderous father. In 1 Samuel 23, um, it says this, Jonathan says to David, don't be afraid, you will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Incredible friendship. Now in time, Saul died and sadly Jonathan died in the same battle and David mourned deeply for both of them but the path before him to the throne was now clear what would he do well rather than seizing it he waited he asked God what he should do and in time traveled um, following God's instruction to the city of Hebron where the people of the tribe of Judah came and made him their king. But the tribe of Judah was just one of 12 tribes in Israel. What were the other 11 going to do? Well, they chose to go a different way and instead installed Saul's weak son called Ishbosheth as king instead. Ishbosheth means man of shame, which gives you an indication that his reign didn't really go that well. And seven and a half years later, after kind of civil war and difficulties, David becomes their king too and rules for 40 years. So there you go. That's the story that we're looking at today. Um, The question is, what can we learn from this? Um, Well, in the 21st century in the UK, we're not particularly used to the idea of having a powerful king. We've got a good queen, Queen Elizabeth II, who has reigned um, in this country for many years but she doesn't particularly have very much power as our head of state. She's more of a kind of figurehead leader. Well, Jesus didn't come to be a figurehead leader without much power. Now, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the name above every name. He is the king of kings. He's absolutely awesome. And right now, in 2020, he has the right to reign totally and absolutely over our lives, over our church, over this country, over all the nations of the world. And one day he will rule totally. That's what the Bible teaches us. But Jesus, like David, is in no particular hurry 
it would seem. Just as David didn't come to seize the throne when Saul died, so Jesus doesn't come to kind of seize the throne um, in our lives. But like the men of Judah, we need to install him as king and submit to his rule. The question is, how will we respond to Jesus, the coming king? Well, the story, I think, suggests three different ways. We could respond like Saul. Saul was determined to remain on the throne at all costs and to cling on to power. No one is going to take the throne away from me as he tries to put David to death. He refuses to listen to what others are saying. He refuses to submit to God and it leads to disaster and difficulty. You see, following Jesus does mean submitting to his rule and surrendering our own. It means going his way rather than going our way. Jesus is, as we've looked at, an amazing shepherd, an incredible saviour. But in order to benefit from those things, we need to choose to make him our Lord as well. I wonder if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this and thinking, well, who is this first century Middle Eastern carpenter? What possible relevance does he have to my life? What right does he have to speak and to reign? Let me just urge you to consider Jesus. I tell you what, from my experience, there is no one like him. He's the most incredible, wonderful person you could ever know. And the most incredible person who could ever be king um, in your life. Let me urge you to consider him, um, to look into his claims and to um, and to get to know him, to follow him. So we could choose to respond like Saul. Secondly, we could choose to respond like the tribes of Israel who put David on the throne in one part, but a weaker king called Ishbosheth on the throne in lots of other parts. See, there are many other things in our lives that we can allow to reign and have power and influence. It might be money, could be our career, um, our family and friendships and relationships, could be sport and entertainment and gaming. It could even be our hurts and our fears and the influence that they have in our lives. There's a whole manner of different things that we may place value in, that we may place our trust and our hope in and say that we could not possibly do without them. I think sometimes we're even unaware that this might be the case. Um, let me just give you an example of some gardening that I've been doing during the lockdown period. At the start of lockdown, I um, decided to attack one of the bushes in my garden, which has been growing a bit wild. And so I decided to cut it back really, really hard. And uh, so I was cutting off all of these kind of healthy branches and cutting it back and cutting it back. And um, as I did so, I discovered that the bush in growing had squashed a bunch of other plants and hindered their growth. And so I kept cutting and kept cutting. And eventually, as I cut back all of these healthy leaves, I began to discover all of these dead branches and dead leaves and dead bits of wood, which were hindering the growth of the bush and of things around it. So I cut all of them out, cut them all back. And then when I finished, this bush looked a right state. It was really bare. And to be honest, I wondered if I had killed it. But now three months on, this bush is absolutely thriving. It's healthy. It's growing quickly. It's colourful. It's beautiful. I'm going to have to cut it again. 
And as I did this, I really felt God speak to me that we are like that bush, particularly in this season. Um, in these days, many of us, I think, have felt like we've been cut back really hard. Even the healthy stuff in our lives has been cut off. And those, as, as that's happened, it's almost might have felt like some dead stuff in your life might have been exposed that you didn't even realise was there. Maybe things that we've put our security in, um, which have now been removed, or fears and struggles that we, we, that we have that have been exposed a bit. And that's really, really hard. Do you know what? I, want, I feel God wants to say to us today that our father, he, as our father, he's a good gardener who wants to deal with those things and um, has therefore been cutting back in order that, like in the bush, those things might be exposed and cut out so that we may thrive and grow in new and beautiful ways, bringing glory to the king of kings. I wonder if you have allowed some weaker kings to creep onto the throne in parts of your life. I wonder if it's time to cut them out. The third way we can respond is to respond like Jonathan. And Jonathan, very simply, looks at David and says, David, I'll be second to you. I'll submit to you. And that would have been really costly for Jonathan because he was the heir to the throne. Do you know what? The same is true for us. Following Jesus means giving up any perceived right to reign that we might feel and instead coming second. You see, Saul got one thing right in speaking to Jonathan. Following Jesus does in fact mean that neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Instead, we're taught to pray, your will be done and your kingdom come. That's not just a nice prayer to pray, but it's something that impacts every area of our life as we submit ourselves to Jesus's wonderful, peaceful kingdom rule. And that's why this morning I'd love to urge us to follow Jonathan's example. You see, because as we do, what we'll find is that just like Jonathan experienced, we then get to experience a friendship like no other. Jonathan and David's relationship, their friendship, is a beautiful picture of our friendship and relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus didn't come to kind of rule, um, lord over us as some kind of despot on high, but he came that we might know him intimately as our king, as our friend, and enjoying such closeness and love with him. David and Jonathan, it said, made a covenant between them. And Jesus has made a covenant with us. Well, a covenant that he made in his very own blood, where he committed himself irrevocably to us, no changing his mind, saying, I love you, my people, I'm for you, I want you to be my friends. I am your king and I've come with gentleness and love um, to lead you, would you follow me? And Jesus did that when we were still his enemies. You see, David as a king and David as a friend was far from perfect, but his life points to someone who is, points to Jesus, a greater king by far, a perfect friend, a perfect ruler, one who's full of joy and peace and justice and righteousness and love and whose kingdom will never, ever end. What a king. But as we finish, here's my question for you. Is he your king? Does he rule in your life today and in every part? Is he ruling in your marriage in your parenting, in your finances, 
in all of these different areas, which over these last few weeks and months have been put under particular pressure. My dear friends, let me encourage you today to let his rule and friendship pour in afresh all over again. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song to respond together. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your friendship. There's no one like you. And we thank you that you are a king like no other. Lord, we pray, would you help us to follow you? Lord, where our hearts might be divided, where there may be dead stuff in there. Lord, would you come and cut it out that we might thrive and grow, knowing intimacy with you as our great friend and as our glorious king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.